Thank you for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We started a series last week called Two-Faced, dealing with the issue of hypocrisy uh, that we have as followers of Jesus in our own life. And really, the the catalyst for this series is actually an old quote. Some of you guys who have been around uh, Christian culture for a while uh, came to me over the last week and said, are we going to sing a DC Talk song? Uh, And if you know that, that reference, then you've been around the Christian music scene for a long time. But it's this old Brennan Manning quote, and it says this. It says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That our lives as followers of Jesus would not be changed in such a way to where we would, uh, as Jesus said, you, you worship me with your lips, you honor me with your lips, but your heart, it's far from me. Your heart has not been changed. And so many of us in our life, we've experienced that as we've interacted with unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus. Uh, their objection to Christianity so many times is rooted, is based in the fact that, hey, all Christians are hypocrites. And I want to I affirm that. Every one of us, we all are. We've all fallen short. Every single one of us in our life have lived lives that in, in some way, shape, or form have missed the mark of what living a life of holiness, living a life of the pursuit of Jesus, uh, living a life that wants to honor and please God every single moment of our life. We have all missed that mark. And yet, all through Scripture, we see that God still continually uses people. Who missed the mark? And so that's what this series is about. We've been looking, uh, last week we started with Peter, and we're going to continue looking at uh, uh, the Apostle Peter today and some of his uh, failures that he had as as an early follower of Jesus. Uh, How many of you guys have ever in your life, you've been caught doing something uh, that you knew you shouldn't be doing? Come on, let's be honest here. Show of hands. How many of you... And every one of you that don't have your hand up right now, you've just been caught because you're lying. We've all been caught doing something that we knew we shouldn't be doing. Uh, I grew up uh, in a little bit of a sheltered uh, home in my life, which was a surprise because then my parents were willing to send me off to the University of Mississippi, which at the time ESPN had ranked the number one party school in America only next to Florida State University. Uh, now, I went, and my nickname, this is a true story. I'll find some of my old college friends, and they can, they can affirm this. Uh, my nickname was DD because I was the designated driver everywhere we went. I did not drink. I was the kid at University of Mississippi who did not consume any alcohol. And so I was, my phone would often ring on random nights of the week at 3 o'clock in the morning because somebody needed a ride from a party or a bar or a frat house or something like that, and they knew that they could call me and that I would be home and that I would be sober and I would come pick them up. So one night, I got a phone call uh, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, and my roommate had been at a party and needed somebody to come pick him up. He was actually very, very sick. We were concerned about him. And I will never forget walking into this party on a Tuesday night, because, you know, Ole Miss, and, uh, and seeing, you know, what was going on in the party, but not only seeing what was going on in the party, but seeing someone that I knew very, very well it, at the party 
who was very, very surprised to see me show up at the party because this person was someone that I had some history with. I had known them for a long time. I'd actually been in youth group with this person uh, uh, here in Memphis. And um, they were very surprised to see me walk through those doors to get my roommate uh, because they were participating in the party. And they were embarrassed uh, that I showed up. And matter of fact, the comment that this individual made to me when I walked through the doors was this. What are you doing here? Because they had been caught doing something that they knew they probably should not have been doing. Their behavior in this moment was different based on their environment. And their behavior was different because it was all based on a desire. It was rooted in a desire to fit in or to be a people pleaser. And every single one of us knows the pressure that comes, the social pressure that comes When people will push you to compromise what you know is right and what you know is wrong in order to fit in some way in our life. And this week we're going to continue as we look at Peter. We're going to see an instance that happened and the stakes were high in the early church. There was a fusion that was happening between Jewish believers and now Gentile believers. And there had been some racism that had existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And now they were beginning to come together under the name of Christ. And Peter, the rock on which the church was going to be built on, the original rock, not Dwayne Johnson, but the original rock who the church was going to be built on, caved under some social pressure. And so in Galatians 2, we see, this, we see this play out. Paul is writing to this church, again, that he loves so much, and he's correcting some behavior. He's correcting some false teaching, some false understanding about what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And part of what he wants to explain to this church, this early church, this baby church that's just beginning, is that Peter had failed. And he's beginning to communicate this failure of Peter to try to warn this group of believers, hey, don't cave under this same pressure. And so we see this uh, in, in Galatians 2, picking up in verse 11. If you want to follow along with me, you can. If you've got your YouVersion Bible app, you can go along with us there uh, as well. If you go to the YouVersion Bible app, bottom right corner of the YouVersion Bible app, it says more. If you click on that, you'll see a little window that says events, a little tab that says events. Click on that. You'll find Grace Hill Church, and you can track along with us uh, there as well this morning. So Paul writes this to this church, and he says this in Galatians 2. He says, when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, again, a little church history. We have to understand Jews and Gentiles and what was taking place here. Jews were God's chosen people. And for years and years and years, they had been God's chosen people. And then Jesus shows up and he says, hey, it's not about the law. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about taking a lamb and and making an annual sacrifice for the atonement of your sins. Jesus said, I am the lamb. I am the once and for all lamb, the once and for all sacrifice for not only the sins of the Jewish people, but for the sins of the whole world. 
And then Jesus goes on at the very end of his, of his earthly, when he was here on earth, and he sends out his followers into the world, into people like the Gentiles, the people who did not know God, the people who were pagans, the people who had been, had been considered very much against the things of God. And so there's all this tension, there's all these cultural tensions that are happening between Jews and Gentiles as they're trying to come underneath the gospel and trying to live their lives for Jesus. And they're trying to understand. Remember, the early church didn't have the Bible they had these letters, this letter to this church that Paul is writing to here. This is what they had to go off of. They had the message of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the early followers. And so it was incredibly important to preserve the, the purity of the gospel and not to add to it and not to take away from it. And that's really the gist of the whole letter uh, of Galatians that, that Paul is writing is because people are beginning to twist the message and, and change the message. And he uses this as a warning and as an example of what can happen when we cave under the pressure and make compromises. And so there's all this tension. As a matter of fact, there's so much tension that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles. And what some of the Jewish uh, uh, sections of Christ followers of early Christians were asking Gentiles to, to do and to become the, the, in Acts 15. Presumably before the, the, uh, after the letter to this church was written, they actually had to have a special council. They had to have a business meeting about it. And all the disciples came in. And they all met, and they, they, they came to the determination, we don't want to make it difficult for those who are turning to God. This was a really, really dramatic moment in the early church. And Peter knew that, that these Jewish men who had come to this church in Antioch would be offended they would be offended by the fact that Peter was, was living his life in a way that was not expecting or requiring the Gentiles to behave like Jews. In many of these early Christians' eyes, the uncircumcised Gentiles were not even really Christians at all. And can you imagine the steps? Can you imagine how small church membership would be today? If in order to be a Christian, if you were an uncircumcised male... You had to become circumcised. And people think we ask a lot from you in order to be a member of a church, to attend, to give, and to serve. Just remember, it could have been a lot worse for you, okay? It could have been a whole lot worse for you. And what's interesting about this moment that, that Paul is, is, is uh, highlighting here in the, in the book of Galatians is it probably happened around a feast. There was all these feasts that would have happened in the early church, a potluck, uh, an early church potluck. And this probably happened around the agape feast. And part of this feast, there would have been a moment where they would have actually taken, taken communion. They would have actually taken the Lord's Supper. And, and some scholars believe that, that what was so offensive to Paul about this moment with Peter is that Peter could have actually withheld those Gentile believers from taking the Lord's Supper because there were the presence of Jewish believers there who might have believed something different. John Stott, a very, very, very famous theologian, uh, wrote this. He said, Their withdrawal from the table fellowship with Gentile believers was not prompted by any theological principle, 
But by craven fear over a small pressure group, he still believed the gospel, but he simply failed to practice it. Isn't it interesting that last week when we looked at Peter and, and the denial of Jesus that Peter had in his life, that this denial was actually rooted in fear. It was actually rooted, Peter's denial of Jesus was rooted in, in fear. And a few years later, fast forward a few years later, we still see this root of fear in the Apostle Peter. You know, fear can have a power of powerful effect on our life, can it? Fear can, can, can force us in a lot of ways to compromise areas of truth in order to fit in or to please people around us. And Paul is about to get to the real heart of the issue. His real problem that he has with the fact that not only has Peter behaved differently than he, what he knows the truth ought to be, not only has Peter potentially excluded Gentile believers from taking the Lord's Supper, but Paul's getting ready to highlight something that is incredibly serious about this hypocrisy of Peter. He goes on to say this in verse 13 of chapter 2. He says, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. You say, well, who is Barnabas? Why, why is he, of, of all the people here, why does he get mentioned? Well, you have to understand, Barnabas was a leader in the early church. Much like Peter, much like Paul, a lot of these guys, Barnabas was a very influential leader. He was actually a friend of Paul's. They ended up going their separate ways. Some scholars believe that it could actually have been over this issue, that, that, that Paul's willingness to call this situation out potentially fractured their relationship. That if you look in Acts, in the middle of Acts, after Acts 15, you actually see them decide to go their separate ways. What's interesting about Paul is that their relationship between Paul and Barnabas had been so close that Paul had actually, I mean, Barnabas had actually vouched for Paul. And the authenticity of his conversion after Paul had had, had this amazing you know, transformation of his life. We see in Acts 11 that Barnabas had actually been a church planter in the early church. And Barnabas, don't miss this, Barnabas was a champion of the inclusion of Gentiles into the Christian faith. He was a champion of the liberty that Gentiles should, should experience in putting their faith in Jesus. And this, this moment in Galatians 2 becomes a really important warning for each one of us in our lives. And here's the warning, is that hypocrisy has a powerful effect on others. Hypocrisy has a powerful effect on our lives. When we conduct ourselves as, as, as hypocrites and, and, and we speak out wrongly, we, we behave wrongly, it could be a myriad of different things. It certainly affects our reputation. It certainly affects our integrity. It certainly affects the integrity of the gospel that people see in our lives. But it also significantly impacts other people. So much so that in Galatians 2, one of the champions of religious freedom and liberty for a people who had been ostracized by God for so many years became now someone who decided to exclude them because of the hypocrisy in Peter. 
the fear in Peter that he had when this other group showed up. I mean, this is Peter. This is the one that last week we concluded the message by looking at Acts 2. And Peter stands up in front of all the religious leaders and and proclaims the message of Jesus and proclaims the gospel boldly. And here he is in a room with with a group of people who ought to be his friends, with a group of people who might believe differently than him, but this is, this is Peter. And he cowers in fear. And he caves in fear. And his hypocrisy affects another leader in the church so significantly because hypocrisy has a powerful effect on other people. And you know this to be true in your own life. You probably have a family member in your life you probably have a friend in your life, a coworker in your life, someone that you go to school with in your life uh, that has been impacted by the hypocrisy of Christians in our world. And it doesn't take far, doesn't take much, doesn't take many Google searches to find the hypocrisy of Christians and Christian leaders in our world today. And it affects so many people around us. It's like, a, it's like a waterfall. It just flows down into so many people in the wake of our own hypocrisy. It did 2,000 years ago, and it still does today. So Paul knew this was a big deal. So Paul knew he had to confront it. Listen to these words in Galatians 2.14. He says this, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, In front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, which is fine. You're not abstaining from certain foods. You're not following all the rituals. You're not not doing it because you understand the gospel. You understand the freedom that you have in Christ. that, That is not what gets you salvation. It is Jesus Christ alone, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. You've abandoned temple worship. You've abandoned the sacrifices. You know you don't have to do that anymore. And then Paul asks him this question. He says this, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? How is it that you experience all this freedom, all this liberty, and yet to this group of people, for whatever reason, you expect something from them that you don't put on yourself? And again, we can, we can read the pages of Scripture, and sometimes it can be, become a little bit of a, kind of, kind of a undramatic just when we read it because it's words on a page. But, but again, think about this. This is Paul. This is early in Paul's ministry. And think about who Paul was and think about who Peter was. Think about the stories that, ex, that spread through early Christendom about who Peter was and the words that Jesus had said to Peter about what Jesus was going to do through the ministry of Peter. Think about the stories that probably spread of, you know, Jesus met Peter on the beach. Jesus spoke words to Peter that he didn't speak to any of the other disciples. You you know Peter. Peter's the guy who, who stood up to all the religious leaders Remember, Luke recorded that in Acts. And this is Paul showing up. And he confronts him. 
Peter was the most prominent disciple of all the disciples. Peter was the spokesman for the early apostles. And at the time, he was probably the most prominent Christian in the whole world. So what was this mask that Peter was wearing? It's a mask that I know, at least from my own life, I'm tempted to wear if I'm not careful. The mask that Peter was wearing was this. Peter was a compromiser. Peter was a compromiser. He was willing to compromise the truth of the gospel in order to be accepted or in order to fit in with another group of people. And isn't it so easy to see that kind of behavior in our own life? That we would be willing to compromise a little truth in this area. We would be willing to compromise maybe a, maybe a hard line that Scripture teaches in this area. Why? Because it's, it's not as socially acceptable anymore. We would be willing to compromise certain teachings of Scripture and do some biblical gymnastics in order to prove a, a socially unacceptable idea that Scripture would confront. We forget and compromise the truth of the gospel that there is now no Jew, no slave, no Greek, no free in order to keep our lives free of people who look different than us. In order to keep our lives free from people who have different backgrounds than us, believe different things than us, or that we just honestly downright discriminate against because we simply haven't taken time to understand who they are and their background and where they come from. I also see this, and I'm guilty of this in my own life, and I can, I can see the temptation in my own life to be this way as well. Is that sometimes as Christ followers, we can, be, we can, we can portray an unwillingness, an unwillingness to make any compromise in our life. To make any sacrifice in our life on our preferences. To, to almost demand what is unreasonable in order to make us happy. We can portray an, unwilling to, an unwillingness to make any compromise in our life. And what we will end up compromising when we do that is we will compromise love. Which is the greatest commandment. And to compromise love makes us the biggest hypocrite when we compromise love. I'll be honest, many Christians are willing to compromise love, and what they end up turning into is they end up looking a lot more like a jerk to the world around them than they do a Christ follower. So we must, as followers of Jesus, oh, there's certainly this tension of being open-handed about certain areas and closed-handed about other areas. There's certainly the tension that we live in and, and the attack on the authority of Scripture and the Bible, and, and that, is, that is where we base our truth from in Scripture as we live out our Christian lives. We don't compromise those things. But are we so unwilling That we just end up compromising love 
in order to gain a, a preference or in order to fit into a certain group of people. It's often the thousand little compromises that we are tempted to make in our daily lives that will eventually lead to a significant compromise that seriously hurts our reputation and the reputation of those around us as a Christ follower. But there is a solution. And Paul gives us this solution starting in verse 15 of Galatians 2. He says this, and forewarning, this is a rant. Paul just kind of goes on a rant here for a few minutes. And he says this, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law no one, but because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And then I love this. He says this. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not compromise the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And isn't it interesting that the, maybe the greatest theologian of all time, the greatest scholar, the, one of the greatest writers of all time of the Christian faith, does not confront this behavioral problem in Peter with anything other than the gospel. And the reason he doesn't is because of this. The solution for our hypocrisy is always the gospel. The solution for our lives and our hypocrisy and, the, and our behavior that we exhibit to the world around us that is less than Christ, the solution for that is always coming back to an understanding of the gospel. It isn't try harder, amen. It isn't work harder, amen. It isn't be better, Sure, there may be some behaviors in your life and in my life that we need to tweak and change and we need to surrender those to God and take responsibility for those in our own life and, and we need to surrender those to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to change my life from the inside out. But it always begins with the gospel because I promise you this, you and I simply cannot carry the weight of behavior modification for a prolonged period of time. As the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, says that we are all prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Every one of us in our life. We are all prone to wander. And we have to do just like what Paul was reminding Peter here to do. That the solution... For our hypocrisy, the solution in our, to the problems that we exhibit in our behavior and in our life, 
The solution to our hypocrisy is to always come underneath the gospel and to say, Jesus, you've you've got to change me from the inside out. You've got to change my behavior. You've got to change the way that I live. I can't do it on my own. If if I had the power to do it, God, I would have already done it. And that's what Paul's saying here is that, that that we have died to the law. It's it's not the rules and the regulations that save us, that change our behavior. It is simply the fact that Christ has died for each and every one of us. And many of you have been Christians for a really, really long time. You made a a prayer, you made a, a profession of your faith at some point in your life, but it has been a very, very, very long time. Maybe for some of you, since you have encountered the gospel fresh and new in your heart. It's been a very long time since you have simply said, Jesus, I need you. I love that the hymn writer of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing goes on and he he concludes the, the last verse with this. He says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And I wonder today if you would simply surrender your heart and if you would simply in your own life today say, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above.